We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest, Zach Murphy of Nets Republic. What is up, fellas? How are we doing? Uh, could be better. Still doing all right, man. <laughs> At least we're not with Wizards fans, guys. <laughs> yes, that's it. very true. Very true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you guys, like you mentioned, Nets Rockets, 111-119 loss in a game that I'm sure we felt like we could win. Really nice start in that first quarter, and then things kind of went wrong the rest of the way. What were your initial takeaways from this one, guys? Um, initial takeaways, in that first half and mostly that first quarter and started the second quarter, we were getting everything. As Iron Eagle said, notoriously, it was a layup line out there. And that was uh, – I love it when – Joey Buckets is getting to the rim, when Rondé is getting to the rim, when Scalpel, Spencer, Dinwiddie is getting to the rim. I think that's when we play at our best because even then they, they're going to start to double us and we can kick out to Crab or if he's feeling it or anyone to the three. And that's when we really piled on that lead in the start. Um, I think things just got a bit stagnant towards the third in the third quarter, end of the second quarter. Those two Chris Paul threes at the end of the half, and the quarter, like, seems to, every game we play, it always seems to be like we give up a shot right at the end of the shot clock of the half. And that I'm not going to go into that. I'll get too rolled up. But I don't know. I, I think we played okay. We just kind of lost our hot streak towards the end. Yeah, it's cliche time, lads. Taylor too hard. <laughs> um, I think that was basically hitting on what sort of Zach was saying. You know, we started off well. You know, Chris Paul was just hot, mellow. We just left him wide open. There was just too many lapses, and you can't do that against a team, despite the fact that they're struggling, are a playoff-ready you know, team, are a championship-contending team when fully healthy and when everything's going right. Um, we did enough good things, but it wasn't balanced up, and out, uh, balanced up enough by the stuff that we did wrong on both ends of the floor. 
Um, I, I think it was just too many things. Like if you go through the entire four quarters, uh, I'm going to be doing a piece for naturalpublic.com. Um, I just don't think that there's going to be enough good stuff from like Karis LeVert, Joey Buckets, you know, Dudley, all, all these guys who did some nice things out there. Uh, it was outweighed by some of the poor things by Coach Kenny and some of our guys, you know, through the third and fourth and late in that second. Yeah, it honestly almost had a similar vibe to the Detroit game, except they didn't come back at the end. You know, really nice start in that first quarter. Midway through that second quarter, things went really bad. Third quarter, not very good. I think the Rockets outscored the Nets by 10 points. And fourth quarter was pretty even. Nets couldn't make plays. And like you said, Jack, a lot of mental lapses, a lot of defensive mistakes, miscommunications, like we talked about off the pod. You know, six for nine for Carmelo Anthony, a lot of wide open threes. Just too many wide open threes for a lot of these Rockets players, especially guys like Gerald Green, who had a couple open looks. He didn't even knock them down. So I think they needed to be better. And when the Rockets really turned up the physical play in the second half and started switching almost on everything and disrupted the Nets offense, they didn't have an answer and they didn't really know how to react. And do you guys think that's more on Coach Kenny or more on the players not reacting or a combination of both? Um, I'm pretty sure it's a combination of both. Uh, we do have some shot creators now. Levert's coming in. Dimwitty's shown what he can do. But I think D'Angelo has a pretty short leash, as I've been saying um, as of late, I think Kenny Atkinson likes to let Dinwiddie and Karras play a little more. And if they turn it over, it's kind of okay. But the second, like, D'Lo would get blocked or anything, he'd be yanked out of the game. And his 12 points all came in the first half. Um, didn't see any minutes during the fourth quarter. And I think in a in a stagnant game where we couldn't get anything going, our, our person to go get us buckets was was sitting on the bench, especially in that fourth quarter. Um, so it's definitely a combination of both. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, at the end of the day, even if our shots aren't falling, we've got to make up for it on D. And as you've pointed out, Nick, too many open looks from three, especially from a Mike D'Antoni-led team um, where we've set rec- records for shooting threes in the past. We just can't leave them open. Yeah, I think it was more on the players and the coaching stuff, I think. The coaching staff had some probably, you know, other issues in terms of rotations and stuff. But in terms of being able to react to what the the opponent is giving you, I think that the Nets were, they just didn't do it. You know, they um, they were having it, you know, like uh, Zach was saying earlier, having a really easy time getting to the rim in, in the first half. But when, like you said, Nick, they ramped things up and, you know, they shortened the rotation a little bit. Coach D'Antoni, you know, he didn't play any minutes for Gary Clark and Michael Carter Williams, these sort of guys, guys who aren't, you know, going to add you any value, especially to a team that has very high aspirations. You know, you tighten the rotation, give those minutes, you know, give 35 minutes plus to, to Mello, Gordon, Tucker, CP3, uh, and Capella. That's when the Rockets sort of go, okay, we're the experienced team here. This is where we get it done. Uh, and I think the Nets just didn't react whether that was through lack of experience, whether that was through lack of leadership. Uh, I think that you can only really ask the players, and I think it's hard to sort of pinpoint. I think it's just one of those days where, you know, the Rockets were a better team, and when they're better, they're just a a far better squad than the Brooklyn Nets are. Yeah, and obviously Chris Paul had a big-time performance trying to will that team to win. Now, you know, Jack, you mentioned rotation. What do you guys think is the issue? Is it, you know, guys like Karis LeVert not getting enough minutes or, you know, some of the players getting more minutes or it's just the subs he made, you know, taking Jared Allen late in that game, putting Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I know, Jack, you mentioned Ed Davis not getting enough playing time. What's, you know, the key issue rotation-wise for you guys? Um, It, it kind of seems to, as I've, as I've talked about, it kind of seems to be inconsistencies by Kenny Atkinson. He kind of seems to favor... Um, other players over some some so I think it's not over necessarily minutes it's also touches and shots like if Alan Crabb's not feeling it he shouldn't be bombing up so many shots and taking them away from um, like Jared Allen or Karras or Joe Harris who are all kind of feeling it um, to have D'Angelo 
play the least minutes out of any starter with 22 minutes and have Dinwiddie off the bench, Crab off the bench, play more. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think also with our injuries, with Damari and uh, Rodion when he's fully healthy and Trevion Graham, I know Kenny likes him. I, I, I almost, it's a good problem to have, but I almost feel like we're too deep. I think, and Alan Williams too. I think I, w- I wouldn't honestly be surprised if we bundled two two players, three players, and maybe that Denver pick and traded for one solid player. I think us having two deep, we're spreading the minutes too far. I know Kenny said that he likes to play nine, ten people, but uh, I don't know. I made a statement saying that I think Rody could have played today. If he was available, then I don't see why he shouldn't have played in that third quarter to be a spark plug when we were really stagnant. Um, I don't know. I think we're. it's a good problem to have that we're too deep, but I don't know. I don't know. I think overextending Rodion, especially coming back from his first ever, you know, NBA injury, I think it's it's fine not to put him out there. But I do agree, Zach, with what you were saying about Alan Crabb. Not so much Shabazz Nap, uh, not Shabazz Nap, he was awesome for us today, I thought. Spencer Dimity, because Spencer is probably, has something that D'Lo does in terms of his ability to get to the rim. Him and Karras um, have some real craft in his speed and strength, which I think D'Lo uh, is a little bit more tentative and sort of sells for his floater game a, a little bit too much. But early on in the, in the proceedings, he wasn't. He was getting to the line and he was sort of, you know, cooking on Michael Carter-Williams uh, and, and some other guys. So I agree with you in, in the Alan Crabb sense, but, you know, our reserves were, were pretty admirable. I think one day uh, um, he's still working his way back and, we love what he does in terms of energy and stuff, but he clogs the floor. And, you know, as soon as you saw that three go out of him, out of, <laughs> out of his hands, you know, you knew it was going to be a brick. And that's that's no slighted in there. There are plenty of players in this league who can't shoot the three ball, uh, but they make up for it in other ways. And Rondé did. He had some nice, you know, and one sort of plays. But I think right now, in terms of the, the fit right now, once we get Trevion and Damari back, I think we're going to see a very different, well, I hope we see a very different rotation because... Um, there are plenty of issues, and you know, D'Lo being one of them, you know, our our front court against Capella being one of them as well. Uh, but I think there are some changes that need to be made, especially when fully fit. Yeah, obviously, when Damari's back, I think that's going to actually make a solid difference. And then Trevion Graham, he can knock down a three ball with the defense he was playing early on. That should be a nice boost. But like you guys said, I think the D'Angelo situation is a little bit weird, and there might be something more to it that we don't necessarily know. But I think in, like you guys mentioned, some guys just need to see more minutes. Like Joe Harris, 7-9 from the field, 4-4 four, four from 3. My man is cooking. Well, actually, Jack's man is cooking. My man. Come on, man. <laughs> don't steal my love. And four assists, too, because I thought Joe Harris was very impressive tonight. Driving on Clint Capella a couple times, too. Like, this is a night where, you know, I know he played pretty big minutes against Detroit. Give him up the 36. Same thing for Karis LeVert. I know uh, Zach mentioned the, the shot attempts for players. I think some of it's them being more aggressive, but also the coaching staff kind of tell them, especially Karis, too, 10 of 17 from the field, 4 6 from 3. You know, I like to see those guys get a little bit more minutes, even if it's just, like, 35, especially against an older team like the Rockets. It's not like this team's going to outrun you or anything. We have to worry about them being fatigued, and they're both pretty young. And like you mentioned, Jack, Rondé has his good moments, but you can clearly tell when he's out there that he clogs the floor. I don't know what to do with him. Maybe they need a better job of kind of setting him up with different sets, but it definitely is an issue out there. Are you guys concerned with Alan Crabb? I know Jack and I, we've been talking about it a little bit. Obviously, this is another game, 2-7 performance, 1-4 from 3. The jump shot just doesn't look as confident. Yeah, that's that's very right. It doesn't look as confident, although the form's kind of there. You can just tell as soon as they bring up the floor, he's just going to curl around the screen, and that's going to be his shot. And I think that's 
one huge thing that differentiates Alan Crabb from Joe Harris, even though they're both primarily shooters, is Joe Harris can come off that screen, catch the ball, but then realize that he's being contested and fake the shot and drive or pass it off again, as you've seen with four assists, which was the most in the whole Brooklyn squad tonight. Whereas um, Alan Crabb, no matter how open or contested he is, it seems the possession just seems to end with him. And that's one thing that I think everyone's kind of latched onto about Joe Harris is his ability to um, not only shoot the three ball, but then drive and then draw the foul and then play some good defense. Like he's gotten time at the four. He's a bit more bulked up than um, Alan Crabb. And I don't know, I it's, it's real tough. If you've almost just got to kind of ride him out because he's definitely going to pick up that option next year. He's playing like this um, for 18 mil, I believe. So it, I can I can see why the coaching staff are hesitant to bench him because, they hey, we've invested this money in him. In theory, he should be a pretty good fit for the Nets. He's got the ability to be a good defender. You saw he got a block tonight. Um, ability to poke the ball free if, you, if he's really switched on. But if he's just not falling, he, he doesn't contribute too much else on the offensive end, whereas Joe Harris seems to do that, which is why I think Joe Harris... Um, has been given that starter role. Yeah, uh, I mean, we didn't think that Harris would be a starter, but it's it's his spot to lose right now. Unless Alan Crabb has a, a wild night from three and, and does something else on the defensive end, then it's 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 Harris's spot to lose. And I don't think that there's any bias in that, despite, you know, of my general bias for Joe in general. <laughs> but I think Crabb, yeah, he's not adding, like Zach said, I think he summed it up pretty perfectly. He's not adding much when he's on the floor. Yeah, he was plus nine, but I think he was out there in Linus where Shabazz Napier was cooking, which I think probably reflected better on him. Same with Davis. You know, he was out there at times where the Nets were just, you know, playing some really nice offensive basketball, and he wasn't really adding much just by the fact that he scored five points, two or seven from the field, hit a three. Uh, it was nice to actually see that, but I, I don't know what we do with him. Like sort of Zach was saying, you know, there's a lot of money there. He's our, supposed to be our best three-point shooter, but you know I think Joe Harris has clearly overtaken him in that sort of sense. So I think it's going to be the the dilemma of the crab throughout the season. Yeah, I think what the Nets need is either a blowout win or a blowout loss, where they can kind of send Crab out there and let him shoot like ten threes or something, and hopefully find his rhythm back. Because like you guys said, he could be an important part to this team, especially if him and Harris are cooking on the same night. It's just a really tough defend for defenses. But uh, talking about the other Allen, uh, Jared Allen. You know, did you guys feel like he looked a little bit of fatigued and maybe even not even just the second half, but a little bit in that first half? You know, Capella really bodied him up. Capella obviously is bigger than him, but not by the giant margin. Yeah, I don't know if I'd boil it down to fatigue. It was kind of, uh, he seemed a bit timid out there. He he had some opportunities where he could really go up or really hit a nice little post move. I know he had one towards the end. He grabbed it in the mid block um, on Chris Paul, and that's a shot where you just, post hook it or you do a quick spin to the hoop every single day and he kind of stood there and tried he think I think he overthought it or I don't know if he couldn't be bothered or whatever but he just kind of held it and Chris Paul although very small he's a pretty good post uh, defender and poked it free and I don't know I feel like I feel like we need to get Jarrett Allen more involved um, in offense I think um, going back to last game, Dinwiddie did it really well, giving him opportunities um, in the clutch. And that's something we really need to see out of him, especially considering, you know, he is one of our cornerstone players. He will be the starting center for years to come. And he has shown so much potential. Um, I feel like we kind of need to give it to him a little bit more. Um, he, he took eight shots tonight, which is not bad, not bad. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to him taking, say, 10. But, yeah, I think he was a little bit fatigued. You know, he is still quite young but I think he could have been a bit more aggressive and assertive. 
I'm going to put it out there that I think he's a little bit timid due to the fact that he'll be free throw struggles. I don't think True. he wants. I don't think he wants the ball as much. Last season, he shot the ball so well from the the charity stripe, seventy seven point six percent. This season, he's below fifty five percent. So mm-hmm. I think that that's having maybe playing into his head a little bit in the fact that you know he gets fed in the post. He's got the mismatch. He's like a, a foot taller than Chris Paul, foot and a half taller than Chris Paul. You know, back him in, and then you know. Paul can just give away the foul. Paul's also a very good post defender despite his, despite his lack of size. I think that might be playing into him a little bit. You know, there were times tonight where, you know, he just didn't look confident. I think confidence uh, and conviction, I think, is going to be one thing. You know, if you're missing your free throws, so bad, you know. But uh, he's, he's shown before he should have the confidence in himself, the fact that, you know, if you can shoot over 75% on an entire season, you know, you know your form is there. You're going to have lapses, ups and downs. That's one thing I think Carousel Vert has learned over, you know, from last season going into this season, that he has his ups and downs, but he has he knows he can impact the game in, in many, in a multitude of ways. So I think that Jared Allen needs to sort of ha- back himself in because, you know, we Nets fans love him. I'm sure the coaching staff do as well. Uh, he just needs to have that confidence in himself and uh, sort of change that timid nature to a bit more confidence and gritty. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point, Jack. You know, the free throws could be a concern, but obviously fouls are still valuable to the team, even if you do miss the free throws. And like you guys said, just being more confident down there, we don't care if you really miss the shots. Like a good layup from a seven-footer with a great wingspan, you know, inside the paint, most guys aren't going to block it. You're going to have a good chance of kind of laying that in. So we'd like to see that more. You know, touching on Levert a little bit, you know, this obviously is career high tonight, 29 points. What did you like what you saw from him tonight? He was assertive. He attacked the rim and he seemed to kind of get whatever he wanted. He seemed to slither past Capella and PJ Tucker on some good little um, moves to the basket, nice little up and unders. He, I think he's shown so much confidence in, it's not necessarily the mid-range game, it's kind of like this soft little floater, soft little touch around the rim. I really, really like it. Um, again, and that confidence, he's been shooting so many more free throws than he was last season. He's been taking those open threes and he's been making them and like he's he's seal smooth like it looks good his jump shot looks good um just really quickly as well like free throws going back to what jack's spoken about i think d'angelo also needs to really kind of get to the line if your shot's not falling you have the ability to create little space and draw contact i feel like he needs to go to the line a bit more especially when he's only he only shot two of the night and um, on shot 5 of 14, I feel like he can get to the line as well. But not to take away anything from Karras, who's showing awesome tonight, 29 points, got a few assists as well, but three steals. And that's what he's kind of um, brings him like a tier above most people on this, on this team is, it, is his ability to not only uh, dribble and shoot and pass the ball, but it's to also poke the ball free and play tenacious D. And I think that's a huge asset to have a, two, a good, a reliable two-way player in this league. Yeah, his footwork is just gone leaps and bounds. And a lot of the times I remember speaking on the buzz last season, he was like a deer in headlights in transition. And when he had the ball in his hands, he would want to do too much. It's like his mind was moving faster than his body would allow him. Now he just has this composure where you're like, oh, well, he's going too fast. What's he going to do here? You know he's just going to stop, prop, move it, do a little pivot. And he just looks so composed and his strength. Uh, all of these different attributes that we know Karras has, you know, he's showing it out there on the floor. You know, touching on the D'Angelo Russell thing that Zach mentioned as well, I think with the fact that he has such a nice floater game, such a nice mid-range, it, it sort of prevents him from getting to the line a little bit. You know, I spoke about it following one of the preseason games that sort of in the close, in one of the closing plays, he you know tried to yak on, um, uh, was it Cornette or whoever yeah, it was? One of their, yep. Yeah, one of their bigs. And he, 
you know, he didn't make the play, but he got the he got the foul, and I, that's what I was sort of really encouraged by. I think that there's might be I don't know what it is with Kenny right now in the fact that he's using Levert perfectly, but why? Yeah. Obviously, the numbers aren't really reflecting well in terms of Levert and Deloitte on the floor together. But I think in such a small small sample size, you let those numbers play out a little bit for a certain extent. Until it gets to the point where it's like, you know, okay, we need to change things here because, you know, Levert and Delo are our two higher ceiling guys to a lesser extent, Jared Allen, but they're going to be, you know, cornerstone pieces, you know, if they ever reach their fullest potential. So obviously we want to see Delo out there for larger stretches. It just seems like Coach Kenny doesn't know what to do with him, or maybe he does and we just don't know. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting situation. Just to touch on Levert real quick, Jack, you pretty much nailed it. All the things that he kind of worked on, the balance, the composure, the patience inside. And one thing, even when he doesn't score, he's done a good job of passing the ball out. Last year, he would get in the paint. He'd always try to put it up or take a bad shot. Now he's definitely a lot more controlled. And like you guys said, I'd like to see D'Angelo. You know, I think one thing he can do, we know he's not the greatest athlete, but his fake game is amazing. You know, he gets people biting on fakes all the time. Be a little bit like James Harden. We talked about this in the past, Jack. Get your hands in there. Try to force a foul. Force the refs to make a call, especially like Zach said, when you're not your jump shots yeah that's yeah. very true and like last year he he seemed to nail those three-point uh getting fouled behind the three-point line a fair bit and yes his floater game his little push shots are amazing but all he has to do is fake one and someone's gonna jump and i think i think it's really important to um if your shot's not falling and you're a scorer and you're an you're an important cog to this to this piece this machine that is the nets i, I feel like you really need to get to the line i feel like Someone who has the ability, and he can knock them down too. It's not like he's um, a woeful free throw shooter by any means. I, I, I don't know. I just kind of think he should be a little bit more aggressive. I just love when this team is aggressive and gets to the line and gets inside to those easy looks because it seems to be um, in previous times we fight so hard for a possession, we do so many good passes, and it end up in a three, and we get it, and we go ballistic, and then on the next on the next end, someone just pulls up from three. It's like, why do we have to work? for 23, 24 seconds per possession and give it up. I feel like sometimes we could just get to the hole a bit quicker, a bit earlier and get fouled and get some free throws, calm things down, especially would have been helpful in that third quarter when nothing seemed to drop. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of our play took a lot of time, especially in the in the final half to get into our sets. You know, it seemed like a lot of over-dribbling and then, you know, they wouldn't necessarily drive into the lane. They were sort of settling or kicking it out. Um, touching on the numbers that I was sort of hinting at, Michael Gallagher put out a tweet, which was really good. And, you know, I, I mentioned the fact that Russell and Levert weren't great together. They're actually plus 2.2 and 148 mm. minutes together before tonight's game. So it's not that they can't play together. They're starters and they're showing, I think that, Early on, and with Allen as well, I think Russell and Allen work really nice in the pick and roll. I think Russell works so much better when he has a, a capable center in the pick and roll. And we know that Allen, with Levert last season, I think D'Lo and Allen could be that this season. I think they can you know, be their own sort of entity. Um, the only one that's been a negative is, D- is when all three are out there together. Dinwiddie, Russell, and Levert in 55 minutes, they're a negative 26 in net rating. So uh, I don't think you necessarily have to throw those lineups out there because... Dinwiddie has been so freaking good at helming the second lineup. You know, when leaving Levert, if Levert plays your most minutes and then D'Lo plays, you know, with um, your second sort of lot and he might run the floor at times as well or he just plays with Levert, so be it. I I think Coach Kenny should have now a a sort of base to work with and go, okay, this is what works so far. Then maybe this is what could work going forward as well. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider, especially working those guys. And there's still plenty of time to create more chemistry and work different sets. I don't think they take advantage of some of the skill sets enough on the floor. But any other, you know, positive or negative notes you want to get in about the game? 
Um, oh, just quickly to add on to Jack's point, I feel like um, we could almost play a lineup if if Dinwiddie and um, and D'Angelo Russell aren't necessarily getting along on the court with Karras as well as the three. I feel like it's almost too many too many ball handlers on the court at once. Um, I know D'Angelo can play off ball. Karras has done it before, but it kind of feels like they all need to touch the ball on that possession, which can be a good thing, but it seems to be uh, a not-so-good thing. I feel like we're better off if we have that shooter in um, Harris or Crab on the floor at those times. And I feel like we could almost, we could almost experiment with splitting the minutes, um, much like people alluded to last season when Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell were um, aiming to play together, it was kind of like, okay, they'll start together, but then they'll kind of stagger the minutes so one of them's on the floor at, at all times. And I honestly wouldn't be opposed to having um, D'Angelo or Karras on at all times, and maybe you can do some uh, Dean Woody and Karras rotations and then D'Lo and, like, Crab, that Portland Trailblazer-Nets combination of um, <laughs> Crab, Napier, and Davis, which all always seem to be on at the same time. I wouldn't be opposed to that, honestly. Just my two cents about that. Yeah, we mentioned staggering last week, uh, last show. I think that's something to consider, especially with Levert and D'Lo, and like you guys said, you know, seeing how you can kind of get Dinwiddie in there. And I think Dinwiddie and D'Lo maybe could work if they kind of continue to build chemistry. Obviously, these guys haven't played a ton of minutes together with D'Angelo missing so much time last year and not being healthy. But, uh, Jack, any other notes you want to get in there about the game? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to touch on that Shabazz. I think he's been great for us this season. One of our most oh, consistent performers. Yeah, he's so good. He's so freaking good. I just every time he takes a shot, he's making the right decisions. He just does the right things when he's out there. He doesn't need to play 25, 30 minutes a night, but whenever he's out there, you know you're gonna get great energy, great little X factor, great spark plug off the bench, um, and he just provides us a, a different element. And you know, one a, a really nice three point shot. You know, hit three in a row, I think, um, <laughs> if my memory serves me right. And you know, he was just awesome for us tonight. So nice little shout out to Shabazz. Yeah, definitely been impressive. And just bringing that energy in those three-point shots is always huge. But, Jack, you mentioned a topic to me a little bit. You want to bring it up? Yeah, so for me, the the talk of, of Nets Twitter and the talk of the uh, around the organization over the past couple of days, before tonight's game was Spencer Dibbity and you know, his contract status, obviously. He's on one of the best contracts in the league, if not the best, and has been, and was last season as well. So what do you think the Nets do going forward, um, Nick and Zach? Like, obviously, there's a contract that could be, you know, we can't offer it to him until mid-December. But what do you think the status of Spencer with the Nets is going forward? Especially in factoring into the fact that we also have D'Angelo Russell, Shabazz Napier on the books. It's a, a glut of guards, so to speak, I guess. Mm, very true. I kind of I kind of feel like we've got to wait to see how it pans out. I feel like if we are um, kind of tailing out, we don't think we can land those free agents, those max signings, then I wouldn't be opposed to offering him 10, 11 mil. I feel like that's a solid amount for um, someone of his calibre and someone who can handle the ball so well and have so much poise as, as shown with his assist turnover ratio last year. He needs to pick it up a little bit this year, but um, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him back on board, especially with his nice redemption story and he seems to really enjoy being around these nets. But if he's offered much more than we can take, then we got to let him go. I feel like um, the, a big question for me as well regarding contracts and re-signing is Rondé. I feel like he is such a unique player that it's really hard to gauge what his value is to other teams. Like, it, he does so many crafty, nifty little things, but he obviously does have flaws in his jump shot and stuff. So I feel like with him as well, it's it's hard to gauge whether we'll re-sign him or maybe bundle him with 
Avert or whatever and try to trade him off um, by All-Star break. And D'Angelo Russell, it's it's tough. It's tough. You, you know the ceiling's there. You see, you've seen the flashes. You've seen him be the closer. But it, I don't know what it is that Kenny's feeding him or telling him to keep him out of the game. I Maybe maybe it's all just strategic and he's just lowering his value so we can re-sign him for less. If so, then Kenny Atkinson is a genius. <laughs> but I wouldn't be opposed to offering him, say, 15, 16 mil. I feel like if it's any more than that, uh, it, it's, it's a different story. I think the main thing is going to be the storyline throughout the season. You know, it's Dinwiddie and D'Lo kind of almost against each other for who's going to get the bigger contract. Obviously, we know D'Angelo has a more potential than Dinwiddie, but Dinwiddie's been kind of proving it more out on the court and kind of obviously has more trust from Kenny. We don't know what the reasoning is why, but Dinwiddie's a guy you can see on your team doing a lot of team-like things, and D'Angelo has these struggles. You know, I know people have criticized Kenny about the minutes, but some of it is D'Angelo. We've seen a lot of these weird shooting nights, 5 of 14, 1 of 5 from 3. You know, the coach cannot put him in the game, but he still has to make shots when he's out there. And like we said, he has hit to the free throw line. He still has to earn that contract. I know the Nets would like to keep him. They obviously made the trade for him. Thing for Spencer, too, is like, you know, teams are going to be interested in him, but I think they should be able to retain him. He seems very interesting coming back. And even though they were to sign the big, you know, free agents, I believe they had Dinwiddie's bird rights so they could go over the cap to keep him. But I think the major storyline is D'Angelo versus Dinwiddie and just a touch on Rondé a little bit. I think he's a guy we have to see him get 100% healthy and we'll have a better idea of what his value is because right now he doesn't look quite as springy. Yeah, I agree with all, all the points that you guys made there. Spencer has said and, and has been quoted saying, you know, if he is offered a, a contract from Sean Marks, he would take it. And uh, under what the current, you know, sort of CBA is, he can be offered a four-year a uh, $47.5 million contract. And that's a bargain for a, for a guy of Spencer Dimity's stature. It's a nice contract for the Nets. It is. Yeah. You, you like to have sort of around that sort of mid-range, you know, Joe Harris's, you know, those sort of mid-range contracts. So then you can sort of, but it's also, it factors into the, um, what we have, you know, so much uh, space for free agents as well. So do they want to spend that on a guy like Spencer Dimity? For me, I, I would, because at that value, he's still an asset going forward no matter what. You know, I don't, I, I'm not as high on the, the Nets' chances in free agency and luring you know, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, whoever you want. I would much rather keep developing from within. And Spencer Dimwini, at 25 years old for the next four seasons, shows no signs of slowing down. And you know, I put out as my first ever piece for NetsRepublic.com as Spencer Dimwini as a six-man-of-the-year contender in September, not tooting my own horn, because I also did say that the Wizards would be a three seed, <laughs> OTGBasketball.com. Um, but Thanks for uh, giving I, us the lesser take, Jack. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't help it, mate. Sometimes it's just it's just in the way my brain's working on a certain day. But Spencer, and I think Zach mentioned a little bit earlier about his sort of assist-to-turnover ratio. I think he's changed his role a little bit. He's becoming more of a, 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 a sort of prototypical six-man in terms of the way he's scoring. He still mm. has the ability to facilitate, but because... He's not starting anymore in, in the place of D'Lo. I think he's coming off the bench and he's becoming super efficient, which is what one of the things that I sort of hinted at and was his goal. And I think Spencer Dillon is going to be, if we're not going to re-sign him, then someone's going to be offering him something because he could be, he's proven he's a starter. He's like in that Terry Rozier sort of mold where you know he can prove it on, on night in, night out that you're going to get something out of him on both sides of the floor. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, it's been really impressive, and it's nice to see his game little uh, grow a little bit. And I think there's even a little bit more he can add. And I think shot selection at times can improve. Obviously, he's been great at hitting bad threes, but you know, sometimes it just need to kind of get to the rim and do a little bit more. And you mentioned going against second unit, like he killed Isaiah Hartstein tonight. Like any you know backup yeah. big, he's probably going to beat him in a one on one situation. So that's really good. But guys, just to touch back to D'Angelo. What do you think is the main issue? Is it Kenny? Is it D'Angelo's play? Like, what do you think is going on with him? Why he's not having a successful start to the season? Or he's been having, I don't even want to say successful because he's just been hot and cold. Yeah, it, it's it's so hard to to pinpoint exactly what's really going wrong because you have those nights and he and he kills and he's doing awesome. Then you have these nights where tonight he's doing okay, but he's just getting pulled and he doesn't have the minutes to kind of really earn his, his spot back. I feel like it's not... I don't know, he's kind of cleaned up his, his shot selection a little bit better this year. He used to kind of get that pick and roll and pull up like on the free throw line inside the little semicircle. He used to do that day in, day out last year. I, I honestly can't recall him doing that once this season so far. So it's good that he's kind of getting closer to the rim and getting those little floaters or he's doing those catch and shoot threes, which is obviously a big part of what we like to do in Brooklyn. So you can't really pin it down to shot selection, which is what a few people were saying um, last season they said, well, we try to eliminate the mid-range game. Why is D'Angelo just shooting all these mid-ranges? Of course, he's going to get pulled. So that's kind of there. He, he's shown improvements on the defensive end um, against the ball handler. He's He's gotten a few steals. I don't, I'm not sure if he got any tonight. I can't remember. I don't think he did. But in nights previously, he's been poking the ball free with Karras, and that's been a real real big improvement as well. So it, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard to say. It's, it's just... I don't know. There's a few. There's a few possessions where you kind of know that okay, this is going to be D'Angelo's. You know, ten seconds with the ball, he's just going to pull up a shot here, and more often than not, it doesn't go in. So maybe you can pull it down to those. But then you see Spencer jacking up those long range threes as well. So there's there's arguments for and against everyone. So it's it's really hard to pinpoint. But I, I'm not sure what his what his reasoning is necessarily for. Um, him having a hot and cold start. Maybe he needs to try it with some new lineups. Maybe he needs to just maybe Kenny just needs to let him play like thirty six minutes one game against against a bottom feeder team and see how he see how he goes. But it's really hard to tell at this point. Yeah, it is definitely really hard to tell. It's just to be a fly on the wall, either you know, in team meetings or even just to be in D'Angelo Russell's inner circle because, you know, we know he says all the right things and as does everyone in the Brooklyn Nets organization. But, you know, what he would be saying to his guys, to his mate, to his manager, to his agents, all the, or to his close friends, you know, is he get, are they getting a different narrative to what, you know, we're sort of being fed uh, by the media and by everyone else? Because I think that you can't help but feel he must be frustrated because, you know, he's, he's doing everything he can. He's obviously... You just see like a lot of the time how his brain is, you can almost see it in motion. Like, you know, I need to make the right place. He feels the pressure. You know, he doesn't want to get, you know, yanked out of there. You know, he knows it's a contract season. You know, two of his best buds have heard their max contract extensions as well. I think Dilo has value in today's NBA, just about like what his ceiling is. And on Brooklyn right now, he's in the best possible scenario to achieve it. But I think Coach Kenny isn't doing him any favors in terms of how he's sort of utilizing him in lineups, you know. We talked about in our player preview series, Nick, you know, what do the coaches need to do for him? I think Coach Kenny needs to look at himself a little bit, look at himself in the mirror and go, okay, what do I need to do to utilize this guy and to get the most out of him? Because right now it's not working for me. And, you know, we need to be honest with each other. Maybe they need to just have a, a sit down and sort of air it all, have one of those sort of sit down meetings, 
Obviously, it's not going to get leaked to the media because the, the Nets aren't that type of organization. But I think there needs to be some home truths on both sides because right now it's it's not working on either side. And it's starting to affect not only Delo's play, but it's affecting Coach Kenny's stature and it's affecting the team player overall. Do you guys think that it would make more sense, you know, we kind of hinted at this, for D'Angelo maybe to start and only play a few minutes, get benched early, then spend most of his time with the second unit, bring Dinwiddie in and do something like that where he's getting a more of an opportunity to kind of run this, run the show on his own, like Dinwiddie's kind of getting with that second unit sometimes? Yeah, I honestly wouldn't be too opposed to it because I think that can obviously help up build his confidence and maybe get his um, percentages. He's not shooting very well from the field, but I think that could be a huge improvement. But I think I think another big thing that we're not really touch- – oh, Jack mentioned it briefly – is how we play with D'Angelo on the court. So most of the time we like to play, you know, off-ball screens and pass-pass around the top of the key and then something happens – along the wing but when Jack, when D'Angelo Russell seems to strive is after one or two passes and he's got the ball at the top of the key and Jarrett sets a good screen for him and then they get that two-on-one play and that's when I'm okay with D'Angelo taking those little floaters or those elbow jump shots if they're open because more often than not they are and if he is closed out he, we've all seen those bounce passes we've all seen those lobs he has an incredible vision and throwing it to Jarrett Allen's a nine out of ten chance of it going in around the rim. So I think I think we can just almost have plays for D'Angelo that are not just let D'Angelo go to work one-on-one. I think another thing is, um, I don't know, uh, it might be because of his um, tenure in Atlanta, seemed to run a lot of Kyle Korver-esque plays for Alan Crabb and Joe Harris. I honestly wouldn't be too opposed to having, like, Harris or Dinwiddie hold the ball, dribble up, even Shabazz. And, you know, off-ball screens for D'Angelo. How often do we see D'Angelo cutting baseline, running for a three, running up to the top for those open threes that we see? Harris and Crabb taking. I, it, it's barely ever. It's, it usually seems to be off a drive and a kick or a corner look where D'Angelo gets his threes. And I think running some plays or um, allowing him to run some plays with other teammates for himself would be a huge um, boost for him, not only his numbers and his efficiency, but his confidence. And as I've said four or five fold tonight, um, assertiveness is everything. So I think that'll be a really good um, way to get him really back into the rotation, back into that star role that we know he can have in Brooklyn. I think D'Lo and Levert is is the way to go for me, guys. I'm all about what they've been doing together as starters. And then it seems to just sometimes just all crumble at stages when they're both off the floor and then when they reinsert whether they're they're generally not reinserted together. It's always just like, okay, where's that chemistry gone? Um, I'm all about maybe Dinwiddie just being the, the guy on the second unit and proving that. And at times, you know, playing him alongside Levert because Levert and, and Dinwiddie just seem to, to work, have a little bit more harmony and a little bit more chemistry. Um, so for me, yeah, I, I agree with all the things that Zach was saying about sort of, you know, running some plays for Dealer, letting him sort of run the floor a little bit, letting him play more instinctual basketball because a lot of the time you can just sort of see that, you know, he's just thinking about like the analytics, the play, what do I need to do here rather than sort of just going out there and playing, which I think is what one thing that Dinwiddie and Levert have done this season more than any other. They've just gone out there, know that they've got all the tools at their disposal and just gone out and hooped. And I think that that's, you know, worked wonders for them over there over this uh, f- uh, nine or ten games so far, sorry, eight ga- nine games so far, um, whereas I think D'Lo is just suffering from being stuck in his head a little bit and 
just not knowing what to do and like when to make the right play, right pass, you know, right shot because, you know, he's looked nice in the, as a catch and shoot player as well. He's not horrible. I, I just think that there's just a lot of things that can be done. It's just going to be, it's not going to be fixed overnight. Let's just put it that way. It's going to be a work in progress. Yeah, maybe it's getting a better feel for the offense. Obviously, he was in it last year, but, you know, he didn't play much like we mentioned. And I think Zach brought a great point up, you know, maybe running some plays for him, getting him some open looks. Him and Jared Allen definitely have that nice combo out there. You know, So something to keep an eye on. Obviously, it's going to be one of the major storylines. But going to the Philly game on Sunday night, you know, Philadelphia hasn't been playing amazing. They are coming off a win. But what do you want to see from this team? Uh, I would love to see um, Joel Embiid somewhat contained. He seems to have monstrous, <laughs> <laughs> seems to have monstrous nights, and um, that that strong, physical, offensive big man type has seemed to kill us in the past. So I would really, really like to see us kind of combat that, however possible, whether it be semi doubling him or whatever. I think that's a huge, a huge thing that we'd like to see going forward. And obviously, I as I've just touched on, I really would like to have D'Angelo have some plays ran for him. Might seem sacrilegious to say, but I want to see Ben Simmons with another turnover triple-double because yeah. <laughs> um, that might help us out a little bit as well because I think Embiid, you know, he's going to he's gonna get his own. Like, I, I think he's going to have a big night. But, you know, and I think that we don't match up well with the Sixers in, in any sort of sense of the word. But, you know, if we can have sort of that motivation, who knows what can happen. Um, but going into the, the Sixers game, it's going to be tough to sort of get that W. But, you know, who knows? They might be off. They might have some injuries. They might be fatigued. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, hopefully we can just have a four-quarter performance because in today's NBA, it takes four-quarter performances. And when you don't have that engagement for four quarters, you have lapses and you have losses like we did against the Knicks because, you know, despite the fact that there are, you know, bottom dwellers like Atlanta, uh, I can't say Sacramento anymore, but other teams of that, that sort of, yeah, Cleveland's, you know, it's, it takes, and, and in that Cleveland game, like we saw Nick, when we, when we recapped it, you know, we were engaged for the entire four quarters. We sort of blew them out because that's what it takes to sort of get the W and to make a statement in, in today's league and sort of, you know, get that confidence going forward. But uh, it's going to be a tough one because uh, the Sixers are going to be motivated and they're going to look for uh, some big performances. Yeah, I think one thing I'd like to see from the Nets as a squad in general is just play physical throughout the whole game. And like you said, Jack, mentally engaged. Just a consistent effort. Just like don't change things. I'm sick of having these really nice starts in the first quarter and then things kind of just dwelling back down in the second quarter and then third quarter, it's rough. And then all of a sudden they try to turn up in the fourth quarter and they don't have enough time to win the game. And like you guys said, Embiid's going to be a problem. I don't know what Jared Allen's going to do. Jack, do you think this is, I know you've been advocating for Ed Davis to get more minutes. This is a game where we should maybe even see Davis more than Allen. Um, if, if, yeah, I mean, I don't really, for me, it doesn't necessarily matter. Like if Alan's starting well at him, cool, keep him out there. But if he's starting to struggle, put Davis out there. You know, I don't think Fareed has the capacity to defend a guy like Joel Embiid, but Davis does. And if he fouls out, cool. He, he, he's there. He, you're just he made you're only work. playing. Yeah, you're only playing him 20 minutes a night anyway. If he fouls out, then so be it. You can play Jared Allen. You can do your small ball lineups with Rondé and Jared Dudley or whatever. But uh, one little thing as well, I wouldn't mind seeing the Nets make some free throws. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah, what were they, 12 or 20? 12 or 20. So uh, I think it's the the easy shot in the game, they say, so to speak. But, you know, we're not doing too well in there. Uh, that's to say the least because um, I'm just checking NBA.com now. We are not in the top 10. We are... Uh, we are in the bottom 10. We are 22nd, uh, 71.9%. So hopefully hitting our free throws will get us some easier baskets. And um, sort of like Zach was alluding to as well, um, I know he got really frustrated at those easy shots. We can't leave guys like JJ Redick open. We can't leave, you know, Ka- uh, 
not Kyle Corver, he's not even there yet. Uh, Robert Covington. <laughs> not yet. Not yeah. yet right? uh, but he might be soon enough, who knows. But I, I think we need to just defend better, hit our free throws, do all the fundamentals. But um, at the end of the day, it's going to be a, a tough stretch to get the W against one of the, the top teams out in the East. And agreed really, really quickly adding on to that. I'd love to see some more steals and pushing the ball. I feel like it's such a, in theory, it's such an easy thing to, to, to fix. And we were um, dead last, I believe, in transition um, opportunities made in transition field goal percentage. And if, if we can get Karras running and we can get those cutters, Ronde running, um, easy points, it, it all, we always seem to be on the receiving end of of those easy buckets, as I was talking about earlier, you know, we have to work 22, 23 seconds for a good shot and they come down and they nail a three or like Covington or, or Redick or whatever, will just nail one. And I feel like if we can get the ball like tipped away from, from those guards, then we, we may have a chance. You never know. Yeah, no, I think the pace is definitely something to keep an eye on. And like you said, I think another thing is, you know, finishing transition opportunities. Too many times this year we've seen the Nets have a one-man advantage of them not be able to convert into a field goal. I know there was one play where Rondé missed Lever on a oop. Like, that's something you have to do. You have to get those easy buckets. They're not going to come a lot, so you need to take advantage of them. And like uh, Zach said, we aren't really forcing a ton of turnovers. That's something we need to pick up. The deflections sometimes seem high in the first quarter, and that kind of dies down a little bit. It's just like the energy isn't the same throughout the game. But hopefully the Nets can, you know, play a consistent four-quarter game and give themselves a real chance against Philly. You know, they played them tough a couple times last year. But, guys, great show. You know, check us out, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.